I'm Connor McDavid from your Edmonton Oilers, and you're listening to Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins on 6:30. Chad. Would you say Connor McDavid is the Eddie Van Halen of hockey players? Thinking about the movie Twister, this song. Canucks lead the Rangers 5-3 with two and a half left in the third. Five minutes left in Philly. Penguins up 4-1 on the Flyers. Late second period, Stars 1, Minnesota nothing. Halfway through the first period, no score. Bruins and Avalanche. Avalanche out shooting Boston 11-4. College football, national championship game. Michigan leading Washington 17-10 at halftime. The scoreboard presented by Cougar Paint and Collision. Our family helping your family for 40 years. Reed Wilkins with you tonight. Oilers tomorrow. They've called up Philip Kemp to be the seventh defenseman on this road trip. They play Chicago tomorrow. Five o'clock face-off show game at 6.30 right here on 6.30 Chet in Detroit on Thursday and Montreal on Saturday. Did not have a good game in Montreal last year. We'll see if uh, they can remedy that this time around. All right. Uh, 780-496-0063. We will get to Kelly Rudy later this half hour, but I know we got some messages coming in. Kellen, take it away. Mm-hmm. Okay, more MBT feedback here because of his uh, deal with the Elks earlier today. We got uh, uh, Coach Al texting in. Says, it's a good signing by the Elks. Bit pricey, though. Geno Lewis will get the ball more with a more accurate passer. That's from Coach Al. Well, yeah. I mean, uh, they had some receivers that they were that they gave some decent dollars to who didn't get a lot of chances uh, to make plays last season. So, yeah. I mean, Geno Lewis still had, what, 900 yards this year? He missed did, the third yeah. of the season and had, you know, Cornelius, a struggling quarterback for part of the time and a, uh, you, you know, a mobile quarterback who who sometimes turned passing plays into running plays for the second half of the season. Mm-hmm. Mitch texts in, says, Reed, I'm wondering if this is an opportunity for the Elks to use a two-quarterback system. Bethel Thompson can handle the drop-back passing, and Ford can go in as a, cha- a change-of-pace guy. Yeah, maybe. I, I know there's a lot of talk sometimes. If you've listened to me in the past, I'm kind of like, okay, there isn't really a two-quarterback system. There's a starter and a backup. I, I, and people who are old enough still always be like, well, Reed, they had Wilkinson and Moon, and one guy played half the game, and then the other guy played half. I don't know if we're going to see that. But we do see in football these days uh, you know, wildcat plays or a, a quarterback who might come on for a play or two or, or, or go in in certain situations, certain yardages, things like that. I, I think they're going to find ways to use Trey Ford because it sounds like they want him to get experience. They want him to learn, and, and they recognize that he can make plays. So I, I don't know if it's going to be a two-quarterback system like Bethel Thompson's going to play the first and third quarter and forwards or, or whatever. I don't think it's going to be like that, but I do think we're going to, and like I said, injuries happen. And if you're coming into a season with Ford as your number two, that's actually not a bad situation to be in. Mm-hmm. Got an unknown text that came in here, uh, Reed. This is a little bit wordy, but we'll uh, get to it. It says, good evening, gentlemen. I have a couple of questions. Number one, how is this a good move for the Elks? They have how much for cap tied up and quarterbacks 
uh, they are paying not even to play here. Jones' response to your question about Ford is a canned answer. It's the exact same answer he gave last year. Oh, you drafted him. That doesn't mean you like how he plays. What does this leave for cap spending uh, on uh, up and or says oh, it says online. I think he means O line. Yeah, well, O line and yeah. quarters areas where the Elks definitely need help. Yeah, uh, I don't know what the exact cap total is. I'd have to ask Dave or Morley. Clearly, you know, it lo- it sounds like they're going to have paid Cornelius a hundred thousand dollars to not play for them. I, I I agree. That's not great, and obviously it didn't work out well uh, with Cornelius. Uh, Ford is not making a lot. I, I mean, he's still on his rookie deal, as Jones said. So most of the money will be tied up with McLeod Bethel Thompson and and Cornelius to not play. Uh, but but I, I think it's the most important position on the field, and Jones is thinking that he's improving it. I get it, the perception that maybe Jones doesn't like Ford very much or isn't sure about him. I get it, because I've talked about that myself. Is it frustrating at times? Yes, it is. Um, But again, right now, MBT is a better quarterback than Trey Ford, and I think pretty highly of Ford's potential. Uh, The the stuff about the O-line, I think they might have a couple younger corners that could... I mean, wasn't Kai Gray up for Rookie of the Year? So... You know, I think they got some guys with potential in the uh, in defensive uh, backfield. But, yes, they do need a better O-line, especially if you're not going to have Bethel Thompson running away to avoid sacks. I, I'd have to I, I'd have to get some help from David Morley for the exact salary cap numbers, though. I'm sorry. Right. And the second question they sent here is, uh, well, this comment question says, I have serious concerns about Jones as a general manager and as a head coach. If the last two years have taught us anything, is he cannot do it all. Well, well, so do I. I mean, they're eight and twenty-eight the last two years. Mm-hmm. Uh, what else we got here? We've got Ghostbuster text again and says Chris Jones is flailing. <laughs> Haven't we learned over the past two seasons that he is well past his prime in identifying talent? It's a desperate move to bring in a thirty-five-year-old quarterback who was pay- playing basically semi-pro football last season. I hope Trey Ford is furious. That's from Ghostbuster. I don't know if Trey Ford is furious. I'm sure he might be a little bit discouraged today. I, I think he also uh, probably wants to, to play and prove himself. Um, look, the, you're, you're not going to hear me... Uh, I, I mean, I'm going to try to be logical, but you're not going to hear me overly defend Chris Jones. I, I mean, he, like I said, he's 8-28 and 28 since he came in to resurrect the, the on-field fortunes of the franchise. And, and we know the story from last year. I'm not going to go over it because we did shows on it all summer and into the fall. They were 0-9, and for the first eight of those, they had a guy who couldn't call plays and a quarterback who couldn't execute plays. And it took him a long time to change that. Uh, so I'm not going to sit here and say, well, he did good in Saskatchewan, or he turned the team around in Saskatchewan and won a great cup here in 2015, so he gets a free pass, because he doesn't. Having said that, if I look at this move, it improves the team. Does it make them a great cup, uh, the, the leading candidate to win the great cup? No, it doesn't, but I think it improves the team. Mm-hmm. Saggy texts in and says the Elks will have a good passing attack for the first time since Riley was here. They need a better offensive line, but I think the signing makes them a playoff team in the West. That's from Saggy. Well, it could be because I don't know. I mean, Saskatchewan and Calgary weren't very good last year either. We'll see if they improve. I, I think BC right now is the favorite in the in the West sitting here second week of January. 
Got another unknown text that came in that says, Good move by Jones. Now let's see him address the O-line. I feel the O-line is one of the softest O-lines in the entire league. There's no doubt they need a better O-line. There's no doubt they better uh, need a better O-line. Yeah, no, and they they, they had some pretty good games running the ball last year, not just Ford. Uh, Kevin Brown had some pretty nice games. I mean, didn't they have a four-game stretch where they had almost 800 yards rushing or over 800 yards rushing? So that was pretty good. But, yes, I, I do think they got to beef up the O-line for sure. Mm-hmm. And one from Momo here texts in and says, uh, even if MBT winds up backing up Ford, I'd sooner have him than not. Worst case scenario, he's a strong mentor for Ford to take the reins in 25. Don't forget, Ford was actually that good last season. He was just better than the, than the disastrous Cornelius. That's from Momo. All right. Thanks for those, everybody. Appreciate it. I'm sure we'll keep talking about this. we got to get to Kelly Rudy after the break here. Whenever he joins us, he's presented by Sentinel Storage Shop Canadian. Canadian store Canadian head to centralstorage.ca back after the subscribe to the inside sports podcast available on apple podcasts google podcasts or wherever you find your podcasts this is 630 chat inside sports and it is final at MSG. The Canucks grab the victory 6-3 over the Rangers. So a very good season for Vancouver. Continues. Besser got his 25th of the season. Uh, Panarin scored for the New York Rangers. He's having a good year as well. He's up to 26 on the year. So the uh, Canucks get the win. And it is almost over in Philadelphia. Last-minute Penguins leading the Flyers 4-1. Still 17-10 Michigan now into the third quarter, leading Washington in the college football national championship game. He joins us every week on Inside Sports. He is presented by Sentinel Storage. Shop Canadian, store Canadian. Head to sentinel.ca. Former NHL goaltender, now broadcaster Kelly Rudy. Kelly, welcome back to the show. How are you doing? I'm doing really well. Reading yourself? I'm doing very well. I'm getting set for the extreme cold. <laughs> yes, same. Uh, I'm gonna. I'm. I'm going to. Uh, well, here's the funny thing. I was thinking about what jacket am I gonna wear tomorrow night to the Flames game. But the funny thing is, and I don't know if I've uh, told you this before, the rinks are so darn cold everywhere, Reed, that I wear an overcoat in every single building. The only time I don't have my overcoat on, uh, my big parka, is when we have an on-camera hit. Other than that, as soon as the hit is over, I put my parka back on, and I carry it I carry it like to California was there just before uh, – the Christmas break, I always wear an overcoat in those buildings. Every single building is cold. So to my point, I'll be ready for it because I always wear an overcoat everywhere I go. Okay. I, I'm glad you brought that up because I, I don't travel like you guys or, you know, Bob, Jack, and Cam here on our crew yeah. and Louie. Um, but Roger's place is cold. So yeah. just uh, won't get into my whole day, but usually on, for a home game, I go to the morning skate. I'll get mm-hmm. some tape and then I'll do work in our booth for an hour, two hours, depending on how much I have to do. Mm-hmm. And so that's between about say 11 to 1 PM, depending on okay. what's happening throughout the day. And I'll have to leave my outside jacket on the entire time. So, but all rinks are yes. kept that cold during the day, especially Well, I guess during the games too. Yes. 100%. Now some of the buildings, you get a little bit of relief because when they let in the 18,000 people or ballpark, whatever that number is with the body heat, it warms up. It seems like a degree or two 
Uh, and so it's a little bit better. But some of the rinks, like even in the Stanley Cup final, read, I always, uh, again, we on camera, I wear my suit and my suit jacket. But as soon as the hit is over, I always carry like it's not a winter jacket, but a, a, it's a heavier jacket than what my suit jacket would be. And I, I wear I look well, I am a grandpa, so I look like an old grandpa all the time. <laughs> That's great. Well, uh, speaking of temperature on the hot side of things, we'll transition mm. to Zach Hyman. Who, yes. uh, you know, Rob and I were saying after the game, he's on pace for 58 goals. And I know that's just yeah. a pace, but it's sure. fun to talk about those things sometimes. Man, oh, man. I mean, he scores almost every game. Yeah, he does. And he's, you know, depending on whose line right now, of course, he's with McDavid. But he just, I, I think of that, the third goal that he scored uh, on Saturday and just how he's on the power play, if I remember correctly. Yes, it was. And how he just set up to the right of the goaltender and he he placed a perfect target for uh, McDavid to just lay that pass right onto the stick, and he's so good at that, at uh, elevating that uh, deflection, which is not an easy play. But I mean, it's it's a deadly play, and uh, he's so good at it. So he is fun to watch. Yeah, I, I said before the game on on air, I said he could be one of the best free agent signings in years. And then I saw somebody wrote something similar. I can't remember who it was. I was on uh, social media, I believe, today, and somebody said something that they feel like it's the best free agent signing in 10 years. So that's that's pretty good company. Like anybody, not just the Oilers. I mean, he'd be one of the Oilers' best anybody. in franchise yes. history, I would think. Yes, so. absolutely, right? So, oh, of course, yeah. In, well, how, in any league, yeah. So how difficult, if I, if I get you to put your goalie's hat on, mm-hmm. Like, how difficult and maybe flat-out irritating would he be for a goalie? Because, like, that play you mentioned that he's yeah. the third goal, he just almost makes himself an extension of the goalpost, you know? Yes, exactly. <laughs> like, he's well inside the blue paint, and uh, but he's out of the way, so he can't get tangled up with the goaltender. It's, it's really clever, and uh, you don't see a lot of guys like this. I, I think, personally, because the game's so different, I would have had to played against many guys like this you know there's there's lots of people in the crease back then and and goaltenders weren't protected so it's it's more unusual to find a guy like this now so is there anybody that he and, and you're right maybe you you were getting a run over more than or yeah. jostled as forwards would say okay. <laughs> uh, but, but but does he whether it's his net presence or just his all-round tenacity is is there anybody that he reminds you of one hundred percent. When you sent me that text and I looked at it, one name, it took me about two seconds to come up to a name. And then I thought, OK, well, you know what? Before I get a little bit crazy here, I better hockey DB both of them. And their numbers are almost identical. Do you have any idea who I may be thinking? It's a current player and they're about the same age. Oh, wow. I thought you were going to go back. No, I don't. No. No. Okay. So you should hockey DB Hyman and do the same thing for Victor Arvidsson. Oh, who I enjoy watching it too. Yeah. Yes. They play a very similar style. They do a lot of things uh, very much the same. But look at their career stats. You will not believe how close they are in terms of numbers. And there's only a year apart. I think Hyman's one year older. And Arvidsson right now has not played this year because he's injured, but he's still with the LA Kings, of course. They were drafted one round apart. Uh, Arvidsson was drafted in the fourth and Hyman in the fifth. 
Oh, wow. That's super close. Yeah, that's crazy. Is that amazing or what? So Arvidsson has 173 game or goals. Hyman has 174, and there's five games difference between the two of them, and the points are almost identical. Uh, Hyman has, what, uh, 15, 15 more points. points. Yeah. Yeah. So, and then playoff games, Arvidsson has 67, Hyman has 40, or 60. Yeah. 40 points. It, it, it's so, it's uncanny how similar they are together. And, and it numbers aside, if you were to watch both players, you'd go, oh, wow, yeah, they're very similar players. They're tenacious on the puck, uh, they're great work ethic, hard to play against. Um, you know, they never make it easy on the opposition. So I couldn't believe how close these numbers were. Okay, yeah, that's a good one for sure. Kelly Rudy joining us tonight, Inside Sports on 630. Chad, Oilers back at it tomorrow in Chicago. Chris Knobloch was asked a couple questions yesterday by other media members just about his demeanor on the bench and, and staying calm and the tone he wants to set and the example that he wants to set for his teammates. And I know I've had a couple uh, buddies just say to me, uh, you know, since he took over, they've just kind of said, man, oh man, does like, does he ever show any emotion? Um, right. your, your thoughts on that, the, the impact of that, and maybe there won't be, maybe you're going to tell me players should be able to manage it themselves, but the, uh, a calm coach on the bench, the, the effect that that can have on a team. Okay, so there's no right or wrong answer. So you can be fiery behind the bench like Tortorella and others that have been that way, like Mike Keenan, uh, both successful, or you can be quiet uh, like Knobloch. And there's, there's, it, I personally think it's how the personality of your team. And then you sort of have to roll with that. Like McDavid's not fiery. He's just brilliant. Uh, dry is a little bit more fiery for sure. He shows his emotions more uh, during the course of a game, but you're trying to manage everybody. So I'll give you a couple examples of why I think like it's just different for every experience. You look at the Oilers coach, how he behaves, uh, fits in with a certain number of the players. At certain points, he's definitely going to have to be emotional, and maybe it's behind closed doors. It doesn't really matter, but one thing, when you look at certain guys, look at Mike Sullivan when he took over the Penguins and then they ended up winning two Stanley Cups. Their bench was crazy. Like, do you remember all the fights during the playoffs between Malkin and Kessel and Crosby was in there and Latang and they're arguing like crazy on the bench and Sullivan's quite fiery as well, but he had to calm them down and Rick Tockett was there trying to calm them down. And so collectively the coaching staff, they're trying to calm the group down, but other times you need the group to get a little bit uh, the players, that is, you have to find get them a little bit more fired up. And it, I do agree with what you said about it should be on the players to manage themselves that way, but sometimes that isn't the case. The one thing I don't like about certain coaches that are too fiery is sometimes that fires the players up too much and then you're in danger of getting uh, unsportsmanlike penalties. And, and those are wrong. Bench penalties for ye yelling or uh, getting too frustrated by the officials. And coaches like that, I think, sometimes lose control and, and then they allow their team to get out of control. So those are certain things I look for. Again, like I said, I don't really uh, – pick or choose a, which kind of coach fiery or quiet they, they can all be successful for different reasons but the only thing i don't like about uh, a fiery guy is that i think sometimes it leaks into the players and they they 
they feel as though they can be unmanageable as well during the course of the game, and that's not true. Yeah, well, that could depend. That's, that's a really good point. And maybe sometime, and you know, Chris talked about coaching junior as well. Mm-hmm. And if a junior player, a 17-year-old, sees his coach getting mad at a ref, he's thinking it's okay yeah. for me to do it. A 27-year-old yeah. NHLer might know, okay, the coach is putting on a bit of a show here to prove his point, but yeah. I know I still got to go out and play, and hopefully now we get the next call or two go our way. Yeah, the the twenty seven year old might be more inclined to roll his eyes. Like, what's this guy up to again? Right. Like, I've seen this mo- movie, and he wants attention. It has nothing to do with the play that he's mad about. It he wants attention. So, yeah, you, you, the veterans usually see through a lot of that stuff as well. Okay. Okay. Uh, so, you got, what, you got Calgary tomorrow. What else is up for you this week, Kelly? Then I get the rest of the week off until Friday when I fly back to Toronto. Uh, the Flames are in Arizona on Thursday, but Greg Millen's going to do that because then uh, the Flames are in Vegas on Saturday, and so he's just going to follow the team. It's just a whole lot easier than me going to Arizona for a game and then fly back Friday all the way to Toronto for Hockey Night in Canada Saturday. So I, I've got a pretty easy week. Okay. Well, Kelly, thanks for hopping on with us tonight. We'll talk again next week. Really appreciate it, my friend. You got, by the way, I forgot to mention, uh, Ottawa's in Calgary tomorrow. So I have that game. And then after that, it's easy.